0: Morning. It's good to see you today. Uh, turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 5. And we're looking at verse 8 primarily today. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. One of the important things to remember about this is, and I've pointed it out before, is that these are characteristics, qualities of Uh, people who are believers in God, and we can't pick and choose from them. That word blessed is speaking of those who are satisfied with these characteristics, satisfied in God, in Christ, that He is our most precious and beautiful treasure. And so it's uh, vital that we realize that and that, well, I'm this, but I'm not this. Well, God makes us these things. None of these things are things that come naturally to us. As a matter of fact, the opposite of these are the things that come naturally to us. But this helps us to see uh, that those who are pure in heart are satisfied in that purity of heart. They're satisfied in this characteristic. Um, One thing that I want to do today is I want to start backwards in this verse. All right. In other words, I want to start with what it says there at the end. For they shall see God. It helps us to understand, for they shall see God. It's about fellowship. Yesterday we had family day at the house, and that means everybody comes out. Uh, my family, my brother's family, and uh, we... Often don't see each other, but maybe once a year. We have a dirt pile. You know, we have all this. So all the kids, they're taken care of. I mean, if you've got a dirt pile in a bouncy house, you're good, all right? Uh, but uh, then there was a lot of sitting around talking to one another, just fellowship, just being in the presence of people you love and the people that love you. It's just a beautiful, sweet time of fellowship. We have that among one another, too. Uh, We, you know, like each other. It's really interesting uh, in our church. We like each other beyond our gathering together and worshiping on Sundays. We like to fellowship with one another. We like to get together. We like to talk. We like to pray with one another outside of church. We like to pray for one another outside of church. We like the Word of God with one another beyond the body. I love that fellowship. It's a longing that we have as believers. But also as believers, we have a longing for fellowship with God. We want to see God. Who are those that will see God? The ones who are not divided in heart. It's one way of understanding what it means to be pure in heart. This isn't just simply speaking of uh, morality. This is speaking of the origin of our moral behavior. Why do we pursue sexual purity? Why do we pursue these things as believers? Why? Because God has given us a pure heart. And so I, I want us to notice this, in that we're speaking of someone who is uncompromised. Sometimes we have trouble knowing who do we believe and trust. Where do you go to find the answer? How do you keep from being compromised in your beliefs? Do so through fellowship with God. So I want us to look and I want us to see uh, three things here today. First, I want us to see two responses to fellowship with God. There are two responses to the invitation of fellowship with God. Secondly, I want us to see the condition of our heart. How does the Bible relate to us, the condition of our heart, our natural heart? And then I want us to see the making of a pure heart. So I'm kind of walking backwards with this verse. Two responses to fellowship with God, the condition of the heart, and the pure, the making of the pure So first, two responses to fellowship with God. It says, blessed are the pure pure in heart, for they shall see God. What about the ones who are not pure in heart? Well, they won't see God. But basically, the response to invitation with fellowship with God uh, is one, escape, or two, pursuit. When God invites us to know Him, We're either going to escape him or we're going to pursue him. When Jesus said they shall see God, he's not speaking of a first encounter with God. Instead, he's speaking of an ultimate encounter with God, being in his presence. He says at some point, no one has seen God. John writes that in his gospel. He has made him known, but we will see him as he is, John writes in his letter. So, he's speaking of those who not only know God, but have known God. Remember, this is about kingdom citizenship. and We're already kingdom citizens, and the kingdom has come, and the kingdom is coming. We have both of those thing, thoughts in play here. So one response to fellowship with God is escape. And scripture throughout shows us that men are often trying to escape fellowship with God. Adam certainly did that. At, <coughs> at the foot of Sinai, what do we find Israel doing? Moses had led them out. They've come to Mount Sinai, their God is uh, bringing Himself down. He starts speaking, you know, I am the Lord your God. And everybody, what do they do? They take cover. I mean, they go find rocks to hide behind. The voice of the Lord is booming, and what do they do? They run. Come to the end of God saying that in Exodus 20? And what do they say? Hey, Moses, tell God to speak to you and not to us. We'll do whatever you say. <coughs> Escape is one of the responses to fellowship with God. Another place that we find this is in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, uh, Paul in describing uh, mankind as the, those who fatally exchanged the glory of God for self-made idols. In verse 21, he says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. They preferred idolatry. Well, One thing that idolatry is, is escapism, okay? I'm getting away from the one true God, and I'm going to go and create my own God. One of the responses to fellowship, God's invitation to fellowship with Him. Is idolatry. And idolatry. Is escaping. Trying to get away. And then ultimately we find in. Uh, Revelation. Chapter 6. <coughs> where people are trying to get away. And uh, Jesus describes this in the gospels as well. But we find there after the sixth seal is opened. Uh, we. We find that in verse 15 of chapter 6, then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? What do we find here? Hide us from his face. And this beatitude is speaking to us about being in the presence of God. And some hear the invitation to be in the presence of God through the gospel, and they say, no, thank you. I have my own way. And my way is good. Look how I prosper. We look at this and we go, yeah, we might shake our heads and go, yeah. I know what you mean, man. People just run from God. I hear it all the time. You know, my, my, my child, they're just running from God. I mean, we, we may not think of this all the time, but we express it in our words that our children or our uh, spouse or uh, you know our parents are running from God fellowship has been offered here's the thing left to ourselves all of us will respond in this way all of us will all respond this way we'll all escape we'll all run from him left to ourselves so the implication of what Jesus is saying there in, uh, in Matthew 5 is not if you're pure in heart, God will let you into heaven. But really, it's that God has worked to change your heart. Because left to ourselves, our hearts are terrible. We'll talk about that in a moment when I speak of the condition of our heart. But next going back to the fellowship with God. Two responses. One is to escape. And let me get out of here. Mountains fall on me. So I don't have to see the face of God. And they won't for all eternity. Except in judgment. But the second response. Is pursuit. Pursuit. Those who are pure in heart, pursue God. They don't initiate the pursuit God does. We'll talk about that in the last point. But the response to God's invitation to fellowship with Him is pursuit. Okay, Lord, I'll come. The response to Him. Seeing and seeking the face of God is the pursuit of Psalm 42. Turn with me, look at that, Psalm 42. While you're turning there, I'll just go ahead and let you know, I got a lot of scripture here, all right, that I'm going to be reading. (laughs) So we'll be playing Bible drill today. I'll wait a little while, but not too long, okay? But Psalm 42, listen, listen to the psalmist. A.W. Tozer wrote an entire book called The Pursuit of God based on this psalm. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Hear the longing there? That's what I want. I want to be in your presence. That's the pursuit. That's a response that those who have been transformed by God make. I wanna pursue you. I wanna know you. I wanna be in your presence. And remember, the kingdom has come. So the opportunity of being in God's presence is now. And then ultimately, when he comes. The problem with being in His presence now is we bump up against something all the time. You realize that, right? I mean, when we worship, when we sing, when we hear preaching, when we pray, we're always bumping up against something. I mean, in heaven, it's going to be wide open to the praises and the worship of God, right? I mean, there's no hindrance whatsoever in heaven. But today we bump up against something, don't we? It's called the flesh, all right? I mean, there's there's only so much, so high we can go in this flesh. Which means, since that's the case, our pursuit is continual. We're constantly seeking Him. We're constantly pushing back the flesh so that we can pursue. And even pushing back the flesh, the temptation, is pursuit. That's hard stuff. That is pursuit. Pushing those things back. It's the pursuit of holiness, the holiness of God. So we see here, when shall I come and appear before God. Folks, we're we're talking here about the essence of the Christian life. It's not simply that I didn't kill somebody. It's that I pursued and grew in and am growing in holiness. So one of the responses is pursuit. Pursuit. Context of Psalm 14, by the way, it's he is in the presence of sorrow and mocking from those around him. I'm not going to read the whole Psalm, but Psalm 42, he's got people who are mocking him. Where's your God? Where's your God? Why do you keep believing in this God? That's what's going on in Psalm 42. And he said, man, I thirst for you. I want to see your face. So we're not talking about ideal conditions that causes our pursuit. But a love of God instead. Psalm 51 is another place where we find uh, this pursuit taking place. Two responses. One escape, let me out of here. Let me run from God. You can't do that, but you, you know, still. And the other is pursuit. And in verse 10, listen to it. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. <laughs> I mean, is David, man. He, he's throwing it out there. Created creating me a new heart. This is King David. This is King David who had a heart that loved God. This is David who God said, your throne shall endure forever. And this is David who lusted after Bathsheba, had an adulterous affair. And then murdered her husband to cover it up. Creating me a new heart. Not ideal circumstances, right? But the pure in heart, what do they do? Even in failure, deep failure, adultery, murder, what do they do? the pure in heart. Pursue the face of God. Don't take me. Don't cast me from your presence. You know, this purity, this pursuit, this desire That David has. That all of us as Christians should have. It's not burdensome. We need to remember that. It's not burdensome. It's not a burden. To have. A pure. Be pure in heart. As a matter of fact it says. Blessed. Are the pure in heart. Right? Satisfied. Satisfied that when I blow it completely morally, he says. I pursue God. I don't run and hide. I pursue Him. That's what's going on here. And it's a joy to know I can come to Him. In Matthew chapter 13. Verse 44, we find this little two sentence parable. The kingdom of heaven, remember, we're talking about that, right? The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. You hear that? In his joy. And his joy turns loose of everything that he had. Everything that he had uh, looked to for satisfaction. And his joy, he gets rid of all of it. And he said, I'm going to buy that field. That field is full of joy. That field is full of treasure. That's what we find here. Joy. The joy of pursuing the living God. That's what he longs for. In us, I mean, there are massive contrasts in these responses between escaping and pursuing. And you have to ask the question, why do some escape and some pursue? Because of the condition of the heart. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart. He's putting forth a condition. The implication is that there are those who are impure in heart. As a matter of fact, that's everyone. Until their heart is made pure. The condition of the heart is what we want to look at now. And the heart is describing the inward nature of our person. We need to make sure that we understand that we're not talking about an organ within our body, all right? We're not talking about the, I can't even do this. I don't know how they do it. You know, we're not talking about this, you know, i heart you, you know. Uh, we're, we're not, no, we're talking about the inward man, all right? We're, we're talking about the inward parts. We're talking about the soul of a man, these are our, our thoughts, our inclinations, our desires. Apart from intervention, the condition of the heart. All of us. You know, I, I uh, my my son and and daughter in law, Jacob and Caitlin, are expecting a baby, and we were talking. About kids and stuff, you know, before everybody was there. Or maybe it was after everybody was gone. I don't remember. We were talking about quirks of grandkids and, you know, nieces and nephews and stuff like that. And I told him, I said, let me tell you something. Let me help you understand this right off the bat, okay? It will take nearly zero amount of time for you to discover this one truth, that little baby is totally depraved. You're going to say no, and guess what they're going to do? The opposite of what you say. Why is that? Because we inherited the sin nature from God, or from from Adam. And it's God who changes it. Jeremiah 17 uh, is a text often gone to at this particular juncture. And in 17.9 it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. And who can understand it? And most people follow that with a quote from John Calvin that the Christian heart is a factory of idols. And it's true of us. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. God describing the uh, human heart and uh, how mankind is in uh, chapter six, verse five. The Lord saw that the of Genesis. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of the, his heart was only evil continually. Y'all hear that? The thoughts and intents of the heart only evil continually. Jesus testifies that for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Say, I didn't mean to say that. You're probably right. You probably didn't, but it's what you thought. It's what's in your heart. He goes on to say later on in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what devile a person. Man, my heart, he says. He says your heart is deceitful and your heart leads to all kinds of things. There's a train of thought in the world. Y'all probably hear it often. Y'all know what that train of thought is? It's this. that mankind is essentially good. How about that? Yes? No? Maybe? No, mankind is not essentially good. People will ask this question. Why do bad things happen to good people? There's something wrong with the premise of that question. It assumes that people are good. The Bible assumes the other direction, doesn't it? Except for those who have been changed and been made new and uh, received a new spirit. Well, that's the condition of our heart and it's kind of gloomy, isn't it? It's Kind of a gloomy picture to think about how we are. We don't have to, uh, uh, you know, do something wrong. Our hearts are there. It's going to happen, all right? It's going to happen. Blessed are the pure in heart. Not just simply speaking of our morality, but speaking of the condition of our heart. The implication of that is that there's hope that the heart can be made Pure, and it's God who does that. Ezekiel chapter thirty six. Uh, we want to look at now the the making of a pure heart. In Ezekiel chapter thirty six, turn with me there. Ezekiel chapter thirty six. See y'all get tired of turning the pages sooner or later, you know, and I know that, and then I have to stop and wait up a little bit. But Ezekiel thirty six, and uh, perhaps you're familiar with this text. I mean, in Ezekiel, Israel's getting just pummeled by God and his prophet through his prophet. You've done this, you've done this, you've done this. But now here we come to a place where things turn in Ezekiel. And he's kind of like, I'm going to bring about some redemption here. I'm going to do something in you and in all who believe in me. He said, you've profaned my name, but for the sake of my holy name, I'm going to do something. I'm going to give you a clean heart. Look what it says. Verse 24. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. Mark that, okay? Idols. I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart. This translates out into the New Testament in Ephesians. In a number of places, but uh, in Ephesians chapter 1. Where he says, when you heard the gospel and believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And later on, he goes through the whole thing in chapter 2 verse 1. He said, you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Later on in verse 4, he says, but God in his great love, by his mercy... What did He do? He made you alive together with Christ. God is the one who has saved you. Are you redeemed today? Have you been saved? Do you have the Spirit of God living in you? Isn't that great? Isn't it wonderful to know that? Isn't it wonderful to hear the gospel and respond to the gospel and say, yes, Lord. And then you begin pursuit of Him. He transforms us. He changes us. He gives us That pure in heart. He acts to renew, to regenerate, and to remake our hearts. So that Jesus can state matter-of-factly, blessed are the pure in heart. How does he know they're pure in heart? Because God changed their hearts. They shall see God. When we think about this, when God remakes our heart, one thing that happens is that we go back to that pursuit of God. We begin pursuing Him. We want to know Him more. There's a a welling spring in our soul that we want to be satisfied in Him. And only Him. I mean, we will find satisfaction in just about anything. Even as Christians. We will be led astray to idols. We will create our own. And we have to be careful not to allow that to have us. We'll create our own satisfaction, get our satisfaction from other things. We get it always in different things. What do you do when you get sad? Or when you get lonely, or when you get afraid. Some people get busy and they busy themselves so they don't have to think about the things that make them afraid or lonely. Some people, like me, eat, some people shop. Well, if I had this, and we're trying to fill that which God is the only one who can fill. We pursue all sorts of things. We never think of it that way. We just think, I'm hungry, or I like that. Or that's a gun I don't have. You know, or I need another project. None of these things are evil in and of themselves, but we turn them into those things. This beatitude is speaking of someone whose heart is completely God's, and they will take everything else and toss it away if it were to keep them from pursuing him pure in heart is one that is uncompromised cleansed Jesus speaks explicitly saying that from a pure heart comes pure things pure pursuits Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 24. I read it. No, I didn't read this one. Yeah, I did. This morning for my pastoral prayer. That's pretty bad. I mean, I'm fixing to be 56 years old, and I can't remember what I read 20 minutes ago. Obviously, I can't tell time either. It was more like 40 minutes ago. Okay. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? This is what it says. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. You think he got that way on his own? No, the Lord made him that way. And look what it says next. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Those who are pure in heart certainly pursue the things that are pure. They pursue the holiness of God. Doesn't lift up his soul to what is false. How does he know? He has a pure heart. God made him pure. And he knows because of his uh, consuming the word of God. It says here that the Lord would bless him with salvation. And in verse 6, such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God. Man, they have something distinctive about themselves. They seek purity. They seek the purity of God. They are pure in heart because God's made them, but they are seeking to be like him. We see here he doesn't lift up his soul to what is false. In Ezekiel, it says, I'll cleanse you from your idols. Same thing. So there's a sense in which we have to lay aside the idolatry of our hearts. James speaks of one who is opposite this. He calls him the double-minded man who claims to know Christ, yet is a friend of the world. Friendship with the world, that's enmity to God. And he said, such a man is double-minded. He can't be both. We can use here the word integrity. Blessed are those with integrity, for they shall see God. Integrity, y'all know what that word means? It means undivided, quite simply, undivided. You know, we often think of the Christian life as is part of our life. The Christian life is not part of our life. The Christian life is our life. The gospel is our life. I've used this illustration before. I'm going to use it again. It's been a long time since I've been in a cafeteria. But y'all remember the trays, don't you? I mean, those of you who do not like for your food to touch, you probably have one of those at your house. All right? Because it's compartmentalized. You can put your your entree here. You can put your mashed potatoes here. You don't want the gravy from the entree on your mashed potatoes? You like brown gravy on your entree? You like white gravy on your mashed potatoes? Guess what? They'll never intermingle. Why? They got sideboards. All right? And so you've got that, you put your green beans here, you got your dessert cup right here. It's even got a square place for your milk. All right? You see, what we often want to do is that this is my family life, and this is my work life, and this is my Christian life, uh, and this is my recreational life. Well, let me let you know something. The Christian life doesn't fit in one of those compartments. The Christian life is the whole tray. And everything in your life ought to fit in that whole tray, that purity tray, if you will. That tray of being pure in heart. The whole tray is you, redeemed, made pure in heart. And all that goes in it needs to match the word of God. We can't be undivided. The last thing I want to point out is this. One thing that the scripture tells us, how is it that we walk in purity of heart how is it that we walk in holiness how is it that we're blessed and we find satisfaction as being one who is pure in heart look with me at first john first john chapter 2 verse 28 the apostle writes and now little children abide in him there's a special word. So that when he appears, listen to what it says. We may have confidence and not shrink from him. Not run and hide behind the rocks. 1 John 2, 28. Not shrink from him. So it is coming. I mean, you, you get the illustration of this. Is that the, the, those blessed are the pure in heart. I mean, imagine the sky bursting open, all right? You ever imagine that, by the way? You ever think about that and what that's going to be like? Imagine the sky bursting open in just a few moments, okay? Jesus is coming. I'm not prophesying here. He is coming, but I'm not telling you when, all right? And the sky bursts open. There's two responses, all right? One of them is... You, you get a run and start, okay? Because it says, "Well, you know, it, it, what?" okay, boom, you get a run and start, okay? It's kind of like, yes, Siri is. You ever get a run and start? That was really ungraceful, wasn't it? Uh, but, uh, you know, but the other is, ah, and they take off running. That's what's going on right here. Which one will you do? Are you going to get a running start at Jesus? Are you looking for a rock to hide under? Are you looking for a mountain to fall on you? And the question is, are you pure in heart? That's what he's saying. Is your longing to be in the presence of God? So that we may have confidence when he appears. What? What do we do that we may have confidence? Abide in him. Abide. you all know what that word means? It's used concerning Jesus. Dwell. Reside. Make yourself at home. In him. Yeah, but things are going real hard. It's okay. Make yourself at home in him. Yeah, but I haven't, I haven't lived exactly right, and I, I'm repenting of my sin, and I, I hadn't really got back there. Don't abide in him. You see, that repentance is pursuit. None of us perfect. Abide in him. I really blew it with my kid the other day. Abide in him. Rest in him. Make yourself at home in the beauty and holiness and purity of Jesus. That's what he's calling us to. Let there be joy And satisfaction and resting in him alone. Yeah, but I got these things in my way. Be done with them. Repent of them. Cast them aside. Would Paul say? I counted everything as lost for the sake of knowing Him. That's those who are pure in heart. So abiding is just resting. It's just being in there. It's not really doing anything. No. now you're still doing something. I mean, if you're resting at the house, if you're abiding in home, if you find security in being at your house, are you never going to clean it up? Are you never going to do anything in it? No, of course you are. And that's your home. With Christ our home, we're doing something in it too. And in Hebrews chapter 12, last verse, by the way, verse 14, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness. It has an article there, so it's a particular holiness. Namely, sanctification. Strive for peace with everyone. The strive goes back, the conjunction Joining it together. And for the holy. Strive for the holiness. So abiding is striving for the holiness of God. Blessed are the pure in heart. Why? They strive for holiness. They abide in Jesus Christ. They seek to live at peace with all men. We're coming up on the peacemakers thing. Man, if you think, sanctification is not important. Of being holy, becoming holy. Jesus, God said it. Be holy, even as I am holy. Strive for the holiness, for sanctification. Without which, no one will what? See the Lord. You're not going to see Him. You're not striving for holiness. You're good with your poor attitude. You're good with unconfessed, unrepented sin. You're all right with that? You will not see God. Why? Because the pure in heart, they strive for holiness. I love that. He tells us, you're going to see me. Anybody get excited about that? You're going to see me? You know? I get excited about that. You're going to see me, God says. What must I do? I've already done it. Come to me. Draw near to me. You just keep drawing near to me. Don't stop drawing near to me. Your drawing near is to become like me. Blessed are the pure in spirit. Man, I'm satisfied with pursuing purity, the holiness of Christ. What confidence that gives me and ought to give you and that you will see Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the precious promise that we will see you. But we know, Lord, not everyone will see you. And Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would sanctify us and that you would make us more like you. Father, I pray you continue to transform us as your children and make us like you. Father, that we would take seriously the, the command, be holy even as I am holy. Even though we are not going to achieve that in this life. Father, I pray we would never stop pursuing it. We would never stop repenting of sin and believing in Jesus. And that that would be a continual thing, day and night for us. Even when we fail and we fall, Lord, we would not run from you but seek you. Even when our life comes unglued, Lord, because of tragedy and sorrow and pain, we would not run from you but we would run to you. We love you, and we thank you, God, for the joy of knowing you, the joy of knowing you and and the blessedness, Lord, of being willing to forsake everything else for you. We praise you in Jesus' name, amen.